Hello and welcome to Sex Ed for Sex Med, a podcast produced by the Ohio Sexual Health Collaborative for medical providers caring for women. However, women experiencing sexual difficulties who perceive a lower quality of life do not feel like themselves and are looking to increase their knowledge of sexual health are also encouraged to listen. I'm your host, Dr. Terry Gibbs, and together with my rotating medical experts, we'll be providing evidence-based fundamental and advanced concepts for evaluating, educating, and empowering women with sexual concerns. We'll be addressing physical, mental, and sexual health wellness as all these aspects are important to enjoying a healthy sexual life. Today's episode will cover the common and difficult subject of sexually transmitted infections. STIs are extremely impacting on sexual health. Our experts, Dr. Heather Wall and nurse practitioner Deanna Sachek, outline risk assessment, screening, and prevention approaches for this difficult issue. Dr. Wall is a fellowship-trained gynecologist in minimally invasive surgery and chronic pelvic pain. She is at the Toledo Pelvic Health Clinic. She is a North American Menopause Society practitioner and research fellow. She's on the board of the Ohio Sexual Health Collaborative. Deanna Sachek is a certified nurse practitioner in women's health in the Toledo Pelvic Health Clinic. She works in the specialty of urogynecology. Also, she has worked in the pelvic health sector in reproductive health and wellness providing preventative services for sexually transmitted infections. Please enjoy this podcast. Well, today we have nurse practitioner Deanna Sajak and Dr. Heather Wall uh, with us today to talk about sexually transmitted diseases. I think something that is so huge and so important to um, sexual health obviously it's very common. And so I would like to to welcome Deanna and Heather. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having Thank us. Thanks I'm just going to throw this out to both of you that you both can just discuss it from your perspectives. Let's talk a minute about incidence and the impact of sexually transmitted disease. Yeah, great question. Well, the preliminary data for the CDC, the most recent data would be for 2021. There are 2.5 million reported cases of chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis infections, which is an astounding number. We want to look at all different STIs, but those three are some of the most common, and we're seeing you know, spikes and rises in some of those. We know that there are new ways for people to meet and have casual sex with dating apps, So that's something that may attribute to why we're seeing a rise. The fastest growing number of people who have sexually transmitted infections are the individuals under the age of 25, right? So this is a huge part of our patient population. So it's not only important, you know, to address this in adult patients, but also adolescent patients as well. One example of how we can tackle this and stay ahead of the game is to educate adolescents before they're sexually active too. I have patients who ask me often when their daughter should come in to see an OBGYN, if they should wait till they're 21. I think they should come in and see us before, or even family practice providers before the time that they're sexually active. So we can make sure that they're vaccinated against HPV. We can talk about prevention, ways to prevent STIs. I think that 
my perception overall with education in the school systems is that it has declined in sex health education. So I think it's it's really important for providers to step up and kind of take on that role and see how well they've been educated in school and where where they need more information. Yeah, and I would say even, you know, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists, you know, ACOG has come up with a committee opinion on the importance of that initial reproductive health visit. And they feel that, you know, adolescents should have this visit between the ages of 13 to 15. So like female uh, adolescents should have that visit between the ages of 13 to 15 to kind of, you know, talk about preventative health services, as you know, Deanna was saying, educational information, guidance, you can also address, you know, any problem focused care, you know, that the patient brings up, but this is, this is a good opportunity to also kind of, as a uh, provider, have that one-on-one discussion with your patient about sexual health practices. What do you say to some of these folks about like the impact of, you know, just throwing caution to the wind and and getting some of these things? I mean, we're we're kind of all aware that it it can be a problem, but do you have some thoughts on that? Well, I think, you know, it's important for all of us to realize that sexually transmitted infections are very common, right? And they're easily spread. And that if you do test positive for a sexually transmitted infection, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that you're a dirty person. These are things that I I think that patients have a lot of guilt sometimes around being diagnosed with a sexually transmitted infection or even wanting to bring up with their provider that they, you know, want testing for sexually transmitted infections. So I think this is where it's important for us as the providers to, you know, have that open and honest dialogue with our patients about sexual health practices, right? So, you know, we know that when it comes to sex, I think most people kind of just focus on that penetrative vaginal sex. That's what people think about when they think about sex. But, you know, I think it's important for you know, us as healthcare providers to recognize that patients are having lots of different types of sex. And so we have to be comfortable not only asking questions about vaginal intercourse, but we have to be comfortable asking questions about oral sex, anal sex, because these other types of sexual practices often have higher risks of sexually transmitted infections, particularly anal sex. So kind of getting to more detailed questions about sex other than are you having sex and does it cause you pain you know has it been consensual or non-consensual i mean those are just like very you know superficial level questions so we have to have to ask more i think the other thing is that you know we know that sexually transmitted infections don't always have symptoms right in fact i'm i would say most patients are not aware that they have a sexually transmitted infection which is why it's also up to us as the medical providers to talk about the reason why it is so important to be screened, right? I think most patients are are hesitant because they're like, well, I, I trust my partner and I'm not having any symptoms, but I always kind of have like, have my saying, well, it's my job not to trust your partner. It's, it's your job to trust them, I guess. But like, here's why testing is so important because, you know, most patients don't have any symptoms. One One of the things that I like to follow when I'm doing a sexual health history for patients is called the five P's. So you ask about partners. Do you have sex with men, women, or both? How many partners have you had in the last six months or in the last 30 days? How many different partners? 
practices is the next P on the list where you're going to ask if, you know, like Heather had mentioned, do you have vaginal sex, anal sex, oral sex? And what are you doing to prevent the infections? Are you using condoms 100% of the time? So that would be the protection of the five Ps. Past history is another one. Have you ever had a sexually transmitted infection in the past? And the final P is pregnancy plans. So what do you do to prevent becoming pregnant if you do not want to be pregnant or impregnating your partner? And also including in in those um, Ps with practices, do you exchange money for sex? Are you using dating apps, having casual sex, or do you know your partners before you engage in intercourse or any type of sex with them. And that last question, you know, that Deanna brought up is really, really important, especially since, you know, we know that like sex work is very common. Again, it's, it's very taboo. And this is something where that last question can help increase your awareness of if your patient is potentially a sex worker, right? So, you know, we want to increase the recognition of this population to increase their access to preventative care. We know that sex workers have sexually transmitted infection rates that are up to as twice as high as the general population. And so, you know, this is a a patient population that you know, may need more frequent healthcare visits with with a medical provider compared to someone in the general population. So that's a really important question to ask. That's a perfect segue into, you know, just the next question was about taking a sexual history and looking at risk factors or risk groups, like you've just mentioned. How do you both go about starting to talk about the sexual history? Well, for, for me, when I worked in an STI clinic, people already came in expecting to be screened and have these questions. So it was it was easier in that setting. And in a normal preventative health setting, like a, a gynecology clinic for preventative preventative care, I kind of work it into my questions about regular health screening. You know, when was your last PAP, your last mammogram? When's the last time you had a test for a sexually transmitted infection? We go into partners and ask about, you know, do you, are you in a committed monogamous relationship? Have you had any new partners in the last six months? And then based on those answers, I'll delve in a little bit more in that setting. And I try to be very careful to be very casual and ask these sensitive questions just as I would for for any other question, like, have you ever had screening for breast cancer? You know, keep your same tone, keep eye contact. Don't try not to show that you feel uncomfortable discussing this because if the patient detects that you're uncomfortable discussing it, they're not going to want to discuss it with you. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. I think one of the other things, you know, we know with like high risk sexual behavior, again, some of those, and which is a lot of what's addressed in those five P questions, you know, one thing to also kind of inquire about is any history of IV drug use or a partner with IV drug use. You know, we forgot to mention that, you know, that is considered another high risk sexual behavior that needs to be taken into consideration. Do you you guys routinely look for HIV? Do you test for HIV in in all your people? I recommend HIV testing. and, And on that note, you know, when I offer STI screening to somebody, I I always ask and recommend that they have blood work, not just a swab, so or a urine test. 
So I, you know, in that workup, you know, have you ever had hepatitis C screening, HIV screening? Have you ever had screening for syphilis? And we order those tests for screening through serum blood work. You know, if somebody is at a higher risk or has sexual health practices, like new partner in the last year, a couple of new part, a couple different partners or more, you want to screen those patients at least once a year for HIV. CDC recommends all patients should have a screen for an HIV test at least once in their lifetime more often if they are at a higher risk. Knowing that sometimes when somebody does resist a little bit to that, I'll bring up some statistics and say, did you know that 50% of people live at least three years with HIV before they're diagnosed? That's pretty astounding. Yeah, Even one, absolutely. you know, one, one person can have HIV for at least seven years before they know that they have it. So any partners that you have been with, you know, it is important to discuss screening if they've ever been tested because they may not know that they have it. We know that there are astounding figures for people that have risk factors in homosexual community, bisexual communities. Men who have sex with men have quite an astounding risk compared to heterosexual partners Men who have sex with men make up approximately 4% of the population, but 66% of people with HIV are men who have sex with men, which is, is astounding. Another thing, African-American women are 20 times more likely to get an HIV infection than white women. And I think that, you know, overall, I think that they know that because I have found that African-American women are much more receptive to testing for HIV. So... I think the overall HIV infection rates for African Americans make up, we know they make up approximately 13% of the population and 47% of people with HIV are African American. So just bringing those to the table and, and, and into patients' attention does make them more receptive to screening. Yeah. And this is where, you know, separate from kind of being aware of the information, you know, provided by the CDC, it's also beneficial to know your local disease prevalence, right? So it kind of, as, you know, Deanna was saying, wherever you end up practicing, right, those rates may be different. And so if you're going to be taking care of, of patients, you know, anybody other than a radiologist or, you know, that type of thing, who's never going to order these screening tests, like it is important for you to know that local disease prevalence of not just HIV, but things like syphilis, trichomonas, you know, these are very varied in different regions. Well, let me ask, depending upon where people are at, we know there's protocols and suggestions for exactly what to test for and when and in what gender. Where do you guys go? Where's your go-to to check and make sure you're, you're getting all the tests that people need? I would say the CDC website. And separate from the CDC having a great website, again, they have their updated STI screening guidelines for 2021. So an important thing to point out, we're, we're no longer saying STD guidelines, it's STIs, because most of the time, again, we're, we're treating the infection so, and preventing any disease. So that's why you'll see that on the website as STI screening guidelines for 2021. CDC also has a really great 
app that you can download free of charge about STIs. And it goes through, it's really well done. You can kind of search based on all of the different STIs. They list, you know, recommended treatment regimens, alternative treatment regimens. So they really make it easier to take care of patients who do have STIs. The other thing that I think is important to know you know, separate from, you know, the CDC is, again, knowing your own local disease prevalence, and then also your your state's laws on expedited partner therapy. So, you know, that's something I think that in the treatment of sexually transmitted infections often gets forgotten, is that, you know, we do have the ability to treat partners as well, again, through that expedited partner therapy. I think there's only four states in the United States that are more restricted in terms of providing EPT to partners. Most states will allow you to treat a partner without seeing them as a patient. So the EPT utilization to decrease the spread is very important for healthcare providers as well. Absolutely. So, you know, as long as you know that partner's name, date of birth, and make sure that they don't have any allergies to the medications that you prescribe. I mean, this is something that should be done. The other thing that I think is important is a test of cure, right? So that is another thing I think that probably often gets forgotten. Yeah, so, so many diseases in, in sexually transmitted infections don't require a test of cure. In some cases, like in pregnancy, if, if there's a diagnosis of gonorrhea chlamydia that is that is different you'll want to have them come back in about three weeks after treating but what I'll usually try to do is at the time that I discuss with the patient that they have a positive result such as chlamydia I will ask them to schedule an appointment for follow-up three months from now to screen them for reinfection and explain that reinfection and re-exposure is very common. I mean, looking again at certain areas of, you know, depending on what region you're in, just knowing that there may be some resistance to antibiotics, such as trichomoniasis that is resistant to metronidazole treatment. Know that if you have that in your region, you may want to be a little more aggressive and follow up with that patient to mm-hmm. assure that they didn't get exposed to an antibiotic resistant infection. So you, you talked about test for cure and then test for reinfection. Two things, two different things. Where, where are the guidelines on the different types of infection and, and whether you test for cure or test for reinfection? Well, for for chlamydia and gonorrhea, a test of cure is not needed. Again, in some circumstances, like if a pregnant female, you're going to want to retest. One of the test of cure recommendations for gonorrhea that you'll want to do also aside from pregnancy is if you're treating oral pharyngeal gonorrhea and you're you're having to use one of uh, an alternative regimen for treatment due to an allergy, you'll want to test them But otherwise, chlamydia and gonorrhea do not need a test of cure. But we know that reinfection is common. If somebody doesn't follow instructions on proper antibiotic use, not being sexually active with their partner until both partners have been adequately treated, you know, they're at a high risk for re-exposure. So just emphasizing that that they should be retested approximately three months after to ensure that they haven't been re-exposed. So that's recommended for, you know, any STI. But more specifically, you know, the the treatable, curable 
any bacterial infections or trichomoniasis doesn't need a tested cure in most cases. Do you, either of you uh, look at, for a second, looking at communities of people, do you have in your mind a specific approach to communities, for instance, you know, women who are pregnant, LGBTQ communities, you know, um, the, you know, just specific groups of people. Do you have in your mind a, a, an approach to STIs in these communities? You always want to look at circumstances for that person, you know, in pregnancy, you know, treatment guidelines and follow-up are going to be different. Yep. We know that congenital syphilis happens, the rates are much lower, but women who are pregnant are screened very thoroughly and appropriately. So, you know, we know that there's differences in screening and treatment. Even if a pregnant woman isn't at risk, they're screened. Yeah. Because of the the replications of what could happen to the fetus if they weren't treated. You know, for example, herpes simplex virus, it's not recommended to routinely screen for herpes, genital herpes, but all pregnant women need to be screened regardless of risk factors, because we know that untreated genital herpes infections can have astounding effects on the fetus when they're born. So we can try to prevent those things. And I was going to say, I think, you know, no matter what population, you know, like that the individual is from what, you know, um, it's important to talk about, you know, separate from screening, it's important to talk about how you can protect yourself, right? So screening is obviously a really important part of addressing STIs, but we also need to have that discussion with all of our patients about protection. That's a great segue because my next question is, let's talk about prevention. I think the biggest thing we can do for our patients in the office. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts? Well, you know, again, I think a lot of this goes back to that sexual history that you're obtaining from the patient, you know, so knowing your sexual partner or partners, right? So again, we don't want to be judgmental. Some pa some patients, you know, have multiple sexual partners. And again, that's fine. But that's something that is important for us to know and for them to share with us and kind of have that discussion about, well, how well do you know your sexual partner or partners? Do they have other sexual partners, right? So that, and how often does your partner get tested? Or have they ever been tested? And if they have been tested, when were they most recently tested, right? So again, knowing your partner is really important. Even if a patient is on a medication for pregnancy prevention, you know, that doesn't prevent sexually transmitted infections. And that's an important conversation to have with patients. So, you know, it's important to use either latex or polyurethane condoms, not just for vaginal intercourse, but for oral sex, anal sex. You know, we do know that anal sex is considered more of a risk factor sexual behavior because the anal tissues tear more easily than the vaginal tissues. And that can, you know, increase the risk of bacterial infections, especially viral infections. So, you know, making patients aware of that. And then talking about the importance of vaccines. So, you know, hepatitis B vaccine, HPV vaccine, you know, which now the vaccine is approved through uh, age 45. So even in patients who have already been exposed to HPV, I think it's still important to have that discussion about the vaccine. Especially knowing that HPV is the most common STI in the United States. And I'll often remind patients that this is the only vaccine that actually can prevent cancer. We yeah. know that we know more about HPV 
now than we did 10 years ago. We know that a majority of oral pharyngeal cancers can be caused by HPV. Penile cancers, anal cancers are typically also linked. So getting away from just the cervical cancer prevention, which is very important, in educating patients that that HPV doesn't just cause cervical cancer, it does cause other types of cancers. Absolutely. I was going to comment on the condoms. There are female condoms that are available. Mm-hmm. That does put a little more power back in the female's hand to have that access. One pearl on female condoms, those can also be used for anal intercourse for men who have sex with men. So those can be utilized, and, and we know that there's better coverage on the external area with the female condoms. They're, they're, they're somewhat difficult to find and obtain. You know, of course, you can get them on the internet or Amazon like you can anything else. But, you know, if patients have trouble with affording condoms, have them check with their local health department. They often can get condoms for free, as many as they want. At the Lucas County Health Department, we had a big bin of condoms just sitting out for people to grab or, or just a small, we would have small prepared brown bags and just, you know, please take one. These are free. Then they, they're carrying a bag and they don't have to be embarrassed about carrying condoms in their hands. Just, you know, letting them know that there are resources if they aren't able to afford condoms. Do you use uh, uh, the, the dams, the uh, dental dams? Yes. Yeah, so I was going to mention that as well. They have dental dams as as an option, latex-free condoms for people with latex allergies. So a lot of patients don't know that they have latex-free condoms. And a lot of people, Terry, don't even know what dental dams are, right? So, I mean, that's great that you brought that up. I'm so glad you did. But, you know, I mean, these are important for people who are having oral sex, this is another way that you can provide education by kind of talking about all that is available to try to help decrease that risk of getting a sexually transmitted infection. Talk for a minute about pretreatment. Is there a pretreatment for people? We've talked about vaccines, which is a form of pretreatment for sure. And then the, the, the condoms, but is there pretreatment that we can use in the, in the form of a an antibiotic or anything? Well, in terms of bacterial sexually transmitted infections, pretreatment typically isn't recommended. If you are in a sensitive situation with a, like a female partner in a domestic violence situation who's come in with a sexually transmitted infection, among other things that you have to take into consideration is, you know, if, if their partner isn't getting treated there are some circumstances where you can can pretreat. Pretreatment for HIV is prevention. I should say, shouldn't say pretreatment. We should probably say a preventative medication. So the most common preventative medication for prevention of uh, sexually transmitted infections is is PrEP, which is HIV prophylaxis or prophylaxis or prevention. So PrEP is taken once a day as a pill. More recently, the FDA had approved an injection, which it does greatly improve um, if, if somebody's having difficulty to remember to taking a pill every day. The injection is given every two months and is very effective. Commercially, we have a generic Truvada on the market for prevention of HIV. There's also Descovy which is also very effective. In the studies, approximately 97% or more of patients taking PrEP 
did not get an HIV infection. Which um, is amazing. Yes. Yeah, that's a that's an that's Absolutely. crazy number. That's yeah. that's incredible. Yeah. I did want to mention that primary care providers and OBGYN providers, that there's a program that you can get certified. You don't have to have a certification to do PrEP, but there's a great program from Health HIV. It's free. There's free CEUs, and they they teach you how often you want to screen individuals for infections, how to initiate PrEP, the follow-up for PrEP. It's a, a valuable resource. I can send the link for that to you. Okay. I highly encourage all primary care providers and OBGYN providers to know how to give PrEP. If they don't feel comfortable, there's a list of providers who provide PrEP in the area that you can search for and you can refer the patient to the providers. But PrEP is very accessible. Biden had passed a law, I believe, approximately 18 months ago that that made, I think it was Biden, that made PrEP preventative health care. So patients can get PrEP free of charge, STI testing related, all the testing and the lab work related to starting PrEP is free of charge. Visits to get PrEP are free of charge. So that's it is considered preventative care. So knowing that too, because many people think that PrEP is very expensive, which the drugs are very expensive, but it's it's accessible and, and affordable. There are some companies that do teleprep. Patients do self-swabs from home. So if if access to care is limited for their area, there is teleprep option. That's awesome. Well, you you both have just done such a, a great job in really showing us everything about the evaluation and prevention we can do for our patients in the office. Do either one of you have any other pearls you'd like to leave with us? I mean, I just think, again, this was a lot to cover in a short period of time. Yeah, yeah. We, could, right? um, we could go into a lot of detail about, you know, a lot more. But I think, you know, the best starting point, as, as we've kind of previously talked about already in this podcast, but also in, in some of the other podcasts is, just ask the questions. And if you don't have time, we understand time is limited in, in a lot of appointments. You know, these are things that you can make part of your intake forms, right? You know, if you don't feel comfortable asking those sex worker questions or any of those five P's, I mean, you can make the five P's as part of your intake form, you know, and, and that at least kind of starts the conversation because when, when patients see that you're asking those questions on forms, they're like, oh, like they actually care about this information. So I, I feel more comfortable providing it potentially, right? So that's, I think, the, the starting point. You know, by the time patients make it to me as a, as a specialist, you know, who sees a lot of pelvic pain, you know, most of the time these patients have already been evaluated by their primary care provider, you know, whether that's internal medicine, family medicine, or, or even their general OBGYN, they, they've had kind of this STI screening evaluated, but if they haven't, that's a big piece that's missing, right? Because we do know that untreated sexually transmitted infections can have future impacts 
in a woman's health, right? So that's why this is so important um, as providers taking care of women. If we can, you know, help decrease the risk of a woman's infertility related to untreated, you know, sexually transmitted infection that led to pelvic inflammatory disease. I mean, that's a that's a really important thing. You know, again, doing the screening to make sure that somebody doesn't have early stages of cervical cancer. I mean, all of these things are about overall lifetime health. So that's why they're so important. Well, thank you both again. Uh, appreciate your time today. And, and thanks for helping educating our, our learners. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sex Ed for Sex Med. Please find the articles used in today's discussion in the show notes for further study. Also, you will find the contact information for our expert today.